Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we explore major trends, technologies, and important policy in the larger world of broadband, telecom, etc. So as we explore today's uh, topics and dig into some very actionable policy that we've been exploring on the podcast already, I want to make sure that you're all caught up on previous Amphenol broadband content. So make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. On there, you'll find more information on our solutions and services, of course, but then also more Amphenol resources like episodes of the podcast, articles, videos, blogs, you name it. Uh, You can also subscribe to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new conversations. So today's episode is, again, going to be staying in the theme of uh, our last several conversations. So we're going to be talking more RDOF. Very important today for the industry. And uh, we've broken down on previous episodes the current state of federal funding for broadband initiatives and how to maximize each source, which of course, included RDOF. We also dug into some of the challenges around mapping technology and why, without solving the accuracy gap for actually served census blocks, uh, the RDOF funds may not have their full impact. So you should go listen to those two episodes. Very great context here. Um, But today, we're going to be getting more of an eagle-eye view of RDOF's past and its present to form some actionable strategies for the future, especially as the FCC prepares new rules uh, for fund payout and prepares for round two of their reverse auction process. So we'll be analyzing a detailed article as sort of the the core of our conversation today from Broadband Now. The article is titled Rural Digital Opportunity Fund Map Auction and Analysis. We'll, of course, link to the article to follow along for reference. Uh, and you know, you'll want to dig into the full article as we'll have to condense some of the points for the podcast today. But for insights on the podcast, we're joined by the author of the piece and the editor-in-chief of Broadband Now, Mr. Tyler Cooper. Tyler has more than a decade of experience in the telecom industry and has been writing about broadband issues such as the digital divide, net neutrality, cybersecurity, and internet access since at least 2015. So, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on the show, man. How are you doing today? Daniel, thanks. Thanks for having me. Doing great. Yeah, it's a real pleasure getting to pull from your insights since you've been, uh, you know, <laughs> On the ground, doing some journalism on the industry, I'm sure uh, you know you've got a pulse on where RDOF is headed, and this article is a perfect example of that. So again, I'm going to point our audience to read the article because it's it's very in depth. Before we get into things, though, can you give our audience just sort of a quick recap of how you landed in writing? on um, the, I guess, larger telecom industry and broadband specifically, and how that uh, experience informs your perspective today. Sure. Um, yeah, so I've been writing in the, the tech beat um, for most of my professional life, but uh, around early 2014, I was part of the original team that built broadband now. Um, and it was really more of a um, sort of, it was originally concepted as a service uh, in response to the FCC uh, demonetizing the federal broadband maps at the time, um, which really were the the only top-down perspective on um, broadband availability in the U.S. that existed. 
so when they were uh, demonetized and ultimately discontinued, which they, they've since been remade, um, but there was really nothing like it um, in the industry. So we kind of got together um, as sort of a, a nexus of um, data and content brained people and put together essentially just a public resource replacement for that. Um, which was originally what broadband now was we incepted it as sort of like a kayak.com for internet service mm. um so you know essentially built out um what is now the largest database of plans and providers in the us um but as we uh, continued to build it out and continue to collect data we realized there was more we could be doing um, to sort of contribute to the conversation around the digital divide in the us um, and so that's where my editorial role kind of grew out of organically is just taking this massive data set that we have uh, both internally and from providers all across the country um, and started putting it to use um, furthering this conversation. Love that. You know, it's uh, making best use of your resources uh, to impact the industry that you've been, uh, you know, knee deep in now for years. So it's exciting to see that your team is... Um, Again, putting those resources to good use. Uh, and I guess to tie it more directly into our conversation today, I'm sure a lot of those resources and that that oversight that you have on the industry has given you um, a pulse, like I mentioned earlier, on RDOF and how it's impacting the industry, some of the attitudes around it, uh, and what the future holds as well for which companies are going to be seeking to take advantage of these federal funds. So I'm sure most of our audience knows what RDOF is, but I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. So let's start with a refresher. Can you just answer plainly what is RDOF and how does it structure compared to some of the other broadband funding initiatives that are available today? Sure. So RDOF, uh, put simply, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, um, it's an FCC program uh, designed to close the digital divide by investing billions of dollars in the construction of rural broadband networks. Um, in many ways, this is a funding initiative that conforms to a longstanding tradition of similar uh, initiatives from the FCC with some key uh, variations. Um, it's a little over $20 billion program, um, which is set to be awarded over a 10-year period um, and it'll be split into multiple phases. Um, so again, in many ways, this is very similar to past programs, although it is um, the most significant sort of auction process um, really ever uh, from the FCC. Uh, but it's also important to note that there's uh, the program itself is sort of an evolving initiative um, that is uh, really has already changed um, since its inception uh, due to the fact that we have an entirely new administration at the FCC. Uh, which we can get into, which is certainly going to have an impact on the program's future. Um, and we uh, and really uh, kind of how that program will interplay with some of the larger um, Biden era policies we're seeing at the FCC, which we can uh, discuss as well. Naturally, the RDOF um, funds focus in on bridging the digital divide. Uh, this has been a policy point for a while now from the Biden administration. Uh, and I'm curious if you can also give us a bit of an update as to since the beginning of this pressure and this focus, uh, you know, a campaign really to bridge the U.S.'s digital divide. How far along are we in that, I guess, resurgence? Uh, give us your thoughts there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think broadly speaking, um, the pandemic was really sort of a public perception wake up call in many ways um, around this issue, you know, but 
no time um, in my life, at least, have I seen broadband thrust into the limelight like now, right? Do we have this, you know, over the last two years, this mass shift in thinking about uh, how we use our broadband connections and how they touch our lives has completely changed, right? We have an entirely new work dynamic. Um, for a long time, we had distance learning and telemedicine taking the, the spotlight. All of these things have sort of shifted the perception around broadband. It's it's no longer a luxury, right? It's it, it's truly a prerequisite for modern living in many ways. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, to their credit, the, the Biden administration has certainly um, made concerted efforts to sort of change the inertia of the FCC and the direction that uh, the organization is moving when it comes to broadband deployment. So the RDOF, you know, is obviously a program that um, precedes the the current FCC. You know, this is this was started, um, you know, a, a long time before the Biden administration uh, came in. But the program itself is going to last uh, after uh, they're gone, potentially, or even, you know, uh, for years after that. So it's really something that is just one component of the administration's response to broadband. Um, another significant one is uh, going to be the uh, federal funding package that was um, passed uh, late last year with the infrastructure package. Um, and so, you know, all of these um, various funding initiatives are really, for the first time, laser focused on this issue of the rural urban disparity when it comes to broadband, right? Um, RDOF was already looking at this and kind of took one tack, um, whereas the, the BEAD program, as it's being called, is a $42.5 billion uh, initiative that is going to also specifically look at unserved and underserved areas um, in America, which, which predominantly are rural areas. Um, but it will be money that's going directly to states and will be uh, administered by the NTIA and will have a essentially, on paper, really a competing uh, philosophy with the RDOF. But uh, Optimistically, I'd like to see them be used complementary uh, to each other. I want to start to hone in on the article that you wrote and that I've mentioned a few times here on the podcast because I think you do a great job of highlighting all the different moving pieces of RDOF, uh, and there are a lot of them. Uh, so I want to start with um, the map that's front and center on the piece. So you have a pretty detailed map on there. It's interactive that shows in red so the little red squares, how many census blocks don't have a terrestrial broadband provider in the U.S.? And folks that check out the article will see it's a very red map. So there are a lot of census blocks that need service. And these are areas that providers have bid on for getting service to that area. And that would be using RDOF's round one funds. Uh, so... I bring this up because I'm trying to get a better sense for how round one has already been put into place and to what effect. So how much of an impact has round one of RDOF's funds uh, had on bridging the U.S.'s digital divide? Have we seen or can we quantify any of that money being put to good use yet? Sure. Um, the plain answer is no, we really can't um, because none of those funds have touched the provider's hands as mm -hmm. of yet. So it's important um, to sort of contextualize this by saying that um, the process uh, for uh, providers to fill out their long form uh, filings for the FCC ended uh, a little over 11 months ago now. Um, and we haven't really seen a significant uh, update from the FCC uh, when it comes to those funds. So this this project, again, is is a long-term project. It's not something that we'll see changes overnight. Even when that funding does start getting distributed, this is going to be um, a 
very significant um, effort with a lot of uh, hands in the basket, so to speak. So, um, you know, one thing that we can kind of talk about, um, you know, I'm, I am optimistic to answer your, your question directly that uh, this phase one will have a significant impact on rural Americans when it comes to broadband. But I think it may not be um, through the avenues that the FCC originally envisioned for the uh, initial RDOF process. I think that the changes we've seen uh, over the last several years from the pandemic and some of the newer um, funding initiatives will will um, change their course and really already have. And I think that's partly why we're seeing this delayed response when it comes to the FCC uh, from this sort of initial auction results. Um, but we can get into that. But yeah, I think that uh, overall, um, you know, really we're in that time will tell stage right now where, uh, you know, the initial winners have been announced. We have these really ambitious um, auction winners that have, you know, tons and tons of money uh, that they've committed to, but there's been some shakeups there. And so I think that the FCC is really trying to um, counterbalance this program with all of the other initiatives that have been recently announced and figure out the best way forward. So you kind of uh, already mentioned this, but I just want to make sure our audience understands. So you have a timeline on your article as well that lists out uh, sort of the progression of phase one funds. So it goes through the phase one bidding process and all of the core dates during 2020 uh, that were you know, important to keep of note. But then the timeline ends with a sort of 2021 to be determined for that final long form application window for winning providers and then the beginning of distribution of initial funds. So are there any updates there? It kind of sounded like you said the window for the long form application has ended, but then that next step of beginning distribution is still up in the air. Is, is that correct? That's correct. Um, yeah. So again, you know, really that that window ended uh, right as uh, the FCC started to take this um, administration change uh, into great effect. So I think that, you know, really, we've seen a delayed response in many ways from the FCC. Obviously, there's been a longstanding um, process for uh, getting a new chair involved with the FCC. So there's a lot of moving parts here that I think affect this as well. You kind of teed me up there. I want to follow up there on, I guess, the big picture why, right? The question mark sort of looming over everyone's heads. Why is it taking so long for these funds to make it to the providers and for them to begin these projects? Is it because the FCC is still sort of reworking its rules for round two that that's holding up round one? Or are there other factors here that are uh, playing into this? Um, well, you know, I think, I think the FCC had... Um, you know, they took this novel approach with with RDOF, and I think that in many ways um, there were some mistakes that were made in, in this initial process that they're still trying to uh, figure out the best way forward for. And what I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of the the biggest winners um, in the RDOF uh, phase one process were providers that um, really haven't deployed the technology that they've pledged on a, a wide scale yet. Um, so these are, you know, things like fixed wireless technologies um, and even uh, SpaceX's Starlink, which is low Earth orbit. Uh, these are still nascent technologies that aren't super widely deployed in the U.S. Um, and they do have great promise for uh, serving rural Americans. But I think that um, one thing that seems and this is without any inside knowledge, of course, but one thing that seems like it's taking longer at the FCC is just figuring out um, the specifics of how these providers plan to use those funds and how they plan to match in turn uh, with their own in order to really maximize these investments, um, seeing as these technologies are, uh, they're not the gold standard. They're not, um, you know, proven technologies like terrestrial fiber, for instance. 
Um, and I think that that kind of dovetails into the second component of this, which is that the BEAD grants, the $42.5 million program uh, announced by the Biden administration, um, that program is going to be distributed by states directly and will undoubtedly have massive overlap with areas that uh, these RDOF recipients have already pledged uh, to provide service. So I think the FCC is really, really um, stuck in a position where they need to be very careful how they move forward, uh, because in my mind, it would it would be uh, best case scenario if the bead grants were um, made available to areas that have already been um, essentially pledged to be serviced by RDOF recipients so that mm -hmm. the funding can be used not in a um, sort of duplicitous way, but in a in a complementary way where you can have multiple um, sort of ends of solving the same problem. So you can have, for instance, one uh, avenue of funding covering the baseline technology deployment while another covers the end user electronic component or, you know, mm -hmm. being able to use both of those programs hand in hand, I guess, is my point. That's something that really, uh, you know, I think if, honestly, if the FCC would have known and if they had a time machine and could go uh, back, I don't even know if they would have done the reverse auction process or the RDO, uh, RDOF at all. Uh, knowing that the bead grants um, were coming. I'm glad you bring that up too, um, because that adds another layer, uh, especially because of how um, how much, uh, I guess, interactability uh, there could be or cooperation, probably a better, more accurate English word there for, um, you know, these two funds working in tandem to deliver on the promises of RDOF, uh, but there's another layer there too that I want to get your thoughts on, uh, especially how our audience should strategically maneuver this, but the bead grants are um, going to put the money in the hands of the states, which is a bit unique compared to some of the other funding opportunities out there for broadband deployment, which means the states now are going to be most responsible for the rollout of this you know, unprecedented funding. So what's the relationship and dynamic there? And what strategies would you offer for, um, you know, folks that have received RDOF one funding, or have been told they're going to receive RDOF round one funding to uh, also build out strategies that can work simultaneously with trying to secure state funding as well as that federal funding? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, I wish I had the, the one size fits all answer. I don't think there is one, frankly. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, you're right. That, so this, the B grants uh, being state administered uh, with oversight from the NTIA is a dramatic shift um, in sort of strategy for uh, broadband deployment in general. So, you know, these federal programs um, have all been very centralized for the most part, whereas these are going to uh, probably vary as much as the states themselves do uh, in terms of deployment strategy. You know, I think we'll see states taking vastly different um, tactics when it comes to how they dole out this funding. I think that um, a lot of these decisions, frankly, are going to come down to individual state broadband offices, which in many cases are um, you know, newly founded, understaffed, and, and are about to have a heck of a lot of paperwork uh, to go through um, for, with all these funding requests. So I think that um, to the extent that providers can take advantage of both, they really need to try to work as closely as possible with these state broadband offices to figure out how um, we can sort of intelligently prioritize um, technologies that are not only going to be useful today, um, which, of course, the RDOF does try to incentivize that, but the bead grants, more importantly, um, really place strong emphasis on uh, gold standard technologies like fiber, which um, not only will serve us today, but will also serve us you know, uh, tomorrow and in, in the next five years, in the next 10 years. 
Um, you know, what we've seen, Daniel, on, on average is that every few years, um, bandwidth requirements tend to double. Uh, and so we really very carefully need to be thinking about the technologies we're deploying today using all of this federal funding, um, because we can quickly find ourselves in a situation where we're spending all this money on technologies that may not serve these rural communities um, well in the future. So it's not just about closing the digital divide. Uh, it's about making sure that uh, it stays closed. Right. That concept of future proofing technologies is going to be essential. Um, and that leads me to my next point here, um, which is that uh, something I think companies should keep in mind for future funding from RDOF is how the FCC is prioritizing funds in its auction process. So like you mentioned, since the whole point of this federal fund is to bridge the digital divide and keep it bridged and basically build infrastructure to then grow upon and, and hopefully build, um, you know, a, a thriving infrastructure in all of these rural communities. That means placing energy behind broadband rollouts that actually guarantee faster download, faster upload speeds and lower latency. And the FCC is actually prioritizing giving out the funds to projects that can guarantee those minimum metrics or even beyond if they exceed expectations. So I'm curious uh, what sort of impact, you know, this might have on the broadband industry, hopefully a positive one uh, mm -hmm. by pushing for and prioritizing funds for those um, better specs. Uh, what are your thoughts on the dynamics here and how you think they'll shape out? Yeah, this touches another topic uh, relative to the pandemic, which is that, you know, over the past several years, we've discovered uh, seemingly in the public perception upload speeds, right? This is something that um, really hasn't gotten the same level of attention that it has over the past few years, you know, traditionally, uh, or rather historically over the past, you know, decade plus, it's really been all about download speeds, download speeds, download speeds, right? What, what can we um, enable on that front? But I think as, um, you know, again, as the, the workforce transitions increasingly to remote setups, as more and more people do what we're doing right now, uh, right, these two-way communication processes, we're realizing that upload speeds and, and down, download upload parity, so to speak, um, is very important um, and is going to become more so uh, as time goes on. So, you know, I think the FCC is making the right decision there, um, you know, to encourage these technologies and encourage more um, symmetry in our broadband connections in general. And I am optimistic that um, not only the RDOF, but also the bead grants, which do prioritize these technologies as well, will kind of push the industry toward increasing um, performance across the board and not just um, kind of fixating on on one, you know, specific um, litmus test, which I still think is, is very good. But ultimately, we need to be building holistic networks that uh, work for everyone across the board. And that requires sort of widening the scope and looking at um, not just download, but also upload speeds and looking at, uh, as you said, future-proof technologies as opposed to ones that might bottleneck us uh, in the future. So I think that, you know, all of these all of these things are going to have an impact on um, uh, the immediate future of the, the RDOF uh, process because, again, we have technologies in this process like low-earth orbit and uh, fixed wireless that are still kind of in that nascent stage where we're, we're the, tech, the technology is maturing and we're figuring out what its upper limits are. But ultimately, I think there's a place for all of those technologies in this ecosystem, um, as long as it's ultimately backed up by a rich fiber backbone, right? A, a, a very, you know, and I think that the bead grants kind of are the, the component that will hopefully 
um, complement RDOF the most there is that, you know, hopefully those funds will by and large be used to deploy these fiber networks so that these other technologies can reap the benefits and those two can um, play nicely together, so to speak. So then if we turn that into some strategies, how should this prioritization uh, layout from the FCC, how should that impact how broadband providers both prepare as well as execute on their rollouts? Do you see any sort of tangible dots to connect there uh, and, and strategies to offer? Yeah, I think, you know, for one, providers kind of have a difficult challenge right now, which is, you know, they need to be preparing for these strategies from multiple points of view, right? Um, they need to be figuring out how best to utilize existing programs, how best to be ready for uh, these state-led initiatives. You know, all of these things require um, at least light touches across the board um, in many different, you know, areas of the chain, so to speak. You know, we'll have um, providers that are needing to build out entirely uh, new backhaul infrastructure in some of these areas. We have providers that will need to figure out how to um, navigate new mapping processes. Uh, you know, this uh, one crucial component here uh, that I think is also behind some of the um, delay uh, in the RDOF process is that, as you pointed out at the beginning, it's using the uh, census block, the 477 deployment data as its sort of source of truth, whereas the, the new Biden era administration uh, program, the bead grants and all of the others are using um, the FCC's updated mapping process, which will be geospatial maps. Um, so providers for the first time, uh, instead of uh, essentially relying on this census block data, they'll be having to draw complicated polygons all over the map and figure out um, how to sort of convert their data into this new format and how to um, you know, get that to the FCC in a way that's useful. I think that um, inevitably, there'll be several rounds of, of revision when it comes to that process. And, and honestly, um, you know, earlier uh, we were hearing potentially that might happen this year, but I, I expect that to probably be 2023 before we see those first versions of this new mapping process. Um, but yeah, I think if uh, really, if, if I had one word, it would be flexibility, uh, you know, really trying to figure out how to um, evolve with this conversation and evolve with these programs. Because again, the RDOF isn't the same program it was in 2019. I think that um, the new sort of federal initiatives that are um, underpinning the bead grants and other Biden administration programs will, will really kind of change how uh, even some of the biggest award winners in the new program uh, take advantage of those funds in the years to come. Speaking of, let's chat the reverse auction process itself and actually uh, maneuvering, uh, you know, the the um, structure of how to even get a hold of these funds in the first place. Uh, you know, we've kind of casually been mentioning here some of the challenges around the auction process. And I mean, you said it yourself, but obviously it's speculation, but still, you know, if the FCC had known bead grants were on the way, who knows if the auction process or the reverse auction process, excuse me, would have even been launched in the way it had. So I'm curious uh, where you see the industry still feeling some confusion around the reverse auction process and why, right? Where are its, um, I guess, key friction points still and why? Sure. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the mechanics of a standard auction, you know, you have one seller trying to maximize the amount they receive for an item or service. So, you know, there's multiple buyers that come in and bid all at once. Right. So this is review. But the reverse auction is is one buyer, uh, which is in this case, the, the federal government. Right. 
Um, and they're attempting to deploy the best broadband for the best price. Um, so they open up the bidding to multiple sellers who are all competing against each other to provide sort of the best you know, balance of speed and price uh, when it comes to broadband deployment. Um, and so I think, I think providers in general looked at that uh, initially and were like, okay, uh, what technologies aren't being utilized currently that can be to sort of maximize this, this build out process or really create bang for buck in this. And that's why some of the largest winners were again, technologies that um, are still relatively new, uh, you know, compared to things like cable, right? Um, you know, we have fixed wireless and and um, things of that nature and, and even just regular wireless service um, and low earth orbit and all the rest. Um, so I think, you know, the largest point of confusion from my perspective anyway is that, uh, you know, th this process for um, getting funding into these, uh, in some cases, smaller operations hands and, and actually facilitating that rollout is still pretty opaque. There's not there's not a lot of documentation around how that process is going to work. At least that's been released to the general public. Um, you know, the providers themselves, I don't have any inside knowledge on, on their situation, so they may know something I don't. Um, but right now, without an update uh, formally to this FCC, you know, RDOF process, we don't know quite yet how, for instance, um, you know, one of the largest winners, LTT, LTD Broadband rather, um, plans to utilize its its massive winnings um, in order to facilitate the sort of pledged amount uh, that they have. You know, we, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like um, because there isn't, a, frankly, uh, a fixed wireless service that uh, exists on the scope of what uh, they've pledged for the RDOF. So I think, you know, the thing from from the industry perspective, at least from a top down view, is that um, a lot of these, a lot of these technologies show great promise and have um, massive potential. Um, even in, in, you know, very specific cases like precision agriculture and, uh, you know, providing adequate broadband to farmlands and things like that. These are all incredibly important issues. Um, but right now, there's just, I, I think we need a, a bit more clarity on how that process is going to look in the face of these new federal funding programs. Um, and how sort of states and the FCC and the NTIA and providers and everyone involved are going to work together to ensure that um, these sort of overlapping bands of funding are used intelligently and there's a really clear cut process for how that's going to work, um, not only with RDOF, but with the industry as a whole. And, you know, this is something that uh, I had heard in some previous interviews and you can actually um, tap into, I think, our previous conversation on some of the issues with the census block mapping technology mm -hmm. that highlights this but there you know was still some uncertainty around the entire process even as round one was happening and sort of the accuracy of it how useful the funds would actually be how quickly we would get them and i bring this up because in your article you also list out some of the major auction winners from round one and there, you know, naturally some big names on that list, but I thought it was surprising that missing from that list were some of the major telecom, excuse me, telecom companies in the U.S. like Verizon or AT&T, right, which you would imagine are huge players and would take right. any advantage to um, be the ones to plant their flag first in expanding to rural areas. Uh, and again, in my previous interviews, we noted that some of that uncertainty around census block accuracy apparently demotivated several of the largest players from applying for round one. I'm curious if you would agree there or if there are any other reasons why you think we don't see major players in the uh, round one payouts. Sure. 
Um, I, I would agree broadly uh, in that sense. I think that, you know, uh, the census block issue has been a sort of notorious sticking point for many years. Um, and, and some of the largest incumbent providers are well aware of this. They have to maintain massive uh, amounts of data uh, for the FCC with this Form 477 deployment process. Um, and yeah, as you pointed out, you know, that that process, uh, in my opinion, is flawed uh, and uh, some pretty key ways, right? Which is, and the FCC has admitted this themselves, of course, which is why they're currently working on overhauling this. Um, but I, I, I think, I think what really illustrates this is that you, you're right that um, these large incumbent providers were largely absent from the RDOF process, but we can see that they're going all in on something like the bead grants uh, mm -hmm. and really going full steam ahead with them. And that's because, again, this is the first uh, major federal initiative that's taking advantage of this new geospatial mapping process, which is, uh, yes, going to be a lot of work for these massive providers to come in and sort of overhaul their data. But what that's ultimately going to give us is uh, hopefully a much clearer picture of this sort of tapestry of different connections and varying technologies um, that are currently on the ground, especially in rural communities, where, as you probably know, uh, using just the 477 data alone, we really don't have that clear of an image of where that technology exists and where it doesn't in rural America. Um, so I think, you know, these, you know, many incumbent providers took a look at the RDOF process as it existed initially um, and potentially just decided that uh, the structure of the initial auction didn't make sense uh, for them to sort of aggressively pursue based on the census block qualifier. Um, they've already been wrestling with this issue in, in many ways. Uh, but I think that, you know, once the FCC um, sort of came into uh, announcing programs that involved new mapping processes and involved a uh, different structure um, that sort of incentivizes uh, deployment of things like fiber, which, of course, AT&T is heavily invested in. Um, I think that, you know, again, the proof's in the pudding there, right? We're, we're seeing those uh, companies uh, very aggressively take advantage of those funds and signal their intentions to um, rapidly expand uh, next generation network deployments. So let's say that these major telecom players enter the bidding war for round two. How would this change the dynamics of, um, you know, payout of maybe the entire auction process? Is that something that you think uh, providers should be keeping an ear to the ground for? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's largely a question of, of if they will, uh, right? I mean, so so phase two of the RDOF process is uh, obviously sort of a holdover from phase one, um, sort of taking a look at the progress at that point on areas that are completely unserved uh, by the FCC's definition. Um, but then it's also looking um, for the first time at underserved communities, not just those that are completely unserved by the 25-3 threshold that the FCC set up. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure that um, an, a, a large incumbent provider that didn't have uh, a super massive stake in phase one will come in and have a large stake in phase two, especially considering uh, the fact that they are going all in on uh, this bead program and making sure that they're taking full advantage of those funding um, rounds as they should. But I think that uh, we may see some of that simply because um, a large incumbent provider like AT&T may have uh, a lot of potential areas they can expand in areas that are considered underserved as opposed to unserved. So these are areas you might think of, Daniel, like, um, you know, middle American uh, suburbs, right? So not strictly speaking, super rural communities, but areas that do have some footprint um, from one of these large incumbents, but have plenty of room to grow. 
I think that's where we may see um, some of the space to uh, involvement from some of the larger companies. Um, and I think really all that will do is um, create a, you know, a healthy environment of competition between some of the, the smaller companies and the uh, incumbents to sort of prioritize based on the FCC's weighting system for, um, you know, various technologies, uh, uh, really competitive, uh, varied tapestry of technologies for these rural communities, right? We don't we don't want to go in and wire these areas with just one thing, unless that thing is fiber, which can support all the other types of technologies, right? We want to create a, a varied, um, healthy, competitive marketplace for these people uh, who currently don't have any options or maybe just have one. Um, so I think if nothing else, um, you know, incumbent providers getting involved in that phase two process will really just be a forcing function uh, that will ultimately be uh, in the consumer's best interest. All right, only got a few more questions here for you, Tyler, but um, let's map out some strategies for round two. So I know it might be a little premature, honestly, considering we're still waiting on funds from round one. The rewritten rules around round two have not been finished yet, but what should broadband players start to do or how can they start to prepare for the eventual phase two of the reverse auction, um, especially in the context of sort of where the FCC is focusing in on adjusting its rules? Sure. That's a great question as well. Yeah, I think so. You know, phase two is going to be $4.4 billion um, alongside any remaining phase one funding. So as you said, unclear, right, what that will look like um, when it's all said and done. I mean, we won't know for several years, most likely on that front. Um, but I think that what providers can really do is take a very specific look at this sort of census block qualifier that is sort of defining the partially serviced um, metric right now. You know, again, we're talking about this phase two, really looking at those areas. And by that point, we can only assume that this uh, geospatial mapping effort the FCC has undertaken will be uh, at least well underway, if not complete. Right. So I think there's going to be um, really a, an, an industry wide change in how we report broadband uh, that comes out of this process, if nothing else. Um, we're going to begin to move away from the census block as the gold standard. And I think the sooner that providers do that and the sooner they start adopting um, higher methods of uh, or higher granularity methods for, you know, self-reporting broadband and for understanding their own footprints, um, the sooner they can take advantage of uh, not only uh, the bead program, but also phase two of the RDOF program, because um, I, at this point, I, I would speculate the FCC probably intends to make some changes to RDOF before phase two, to where the program won't rely uh, entirely on census blocks, because at that point, uh, several years down the road, if we have newer, more accurate mapping, uh, I can't see them falling back on the census block uh, for the RDOF, even though that's how the program started. So as I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, the program looked like one thing in 2019, uh, in 2024, 2025, it's going to look like something else. So if anything, the advice should be stay flexible. You know, don't, uh, don't make too many plans for how things are now, because like you said, uh, the scope of even new federal funding could change in the next several months, could change in a few years. And by then strategy will need to look a little different. And, uh, uh I'm sure folks can attest to that too. Some, some flexibility and agility in mapping out strategies for making best use of these funds is probably a, a best practice. Good quality in general to have, yes. <laughs> yes. 
So my last question for you, Tyler, then is, um, you know, let's make an actionable critique of RDOF and map out, you know, some changes that you and, uh, you know, maybe folks you've heard from the industry uh, would like to see. So where would you say RDOF is currently failing to just meet the mark either in how it's approaching funding, how it's approaching paying out, any real metric uh, or um, aspect of RDOF, and what can the industry do to either insulate against some of these areas where RDOF doesn't quite meet the mark, or what can they do to motivate some change in these areas before round two? Sure. Well, I mean, overall, you know, at the risk of beating a dead horse here, I, I think that, you know, the RDOF process uh, when it started out, it, it, it looked like the most ambitious uh, funding initiative the FCC had ever undertaken at that point, o only to be one-upped uh, by, by the current, uh, you know, federal programs we're seeing from the Biden administration. So I think that, you know, if there's one key lesson here, it's that, you know, the FCC really uh, sort of, in my opinion, was a bit hasty getting into the RDOF process and really kind of getting the auction going. And, and for a good reason, you know, the, it, this was a, a pretty significant um, funding initiative that was coming right at the tail end of an administration. Um, so it's something we've seen before. But I think that if there's actionable advice or, or sort of something we can learn from this process, it's that federal funding initiatives in general, um, they, tend to, they tend to be like tides, right? They, they change and, and ebb and flow along administrative lines. And you know, as, as things change at the federal government, these programs can change. And so there's, there's two things. There's that, there's the policy side, and there's also the uh, sort of technological uh, change that we're seeing happen faster and faster now, where not only are uh, the technologies we use to connect to broadband and the technologies that providers are deploying changing every single day, but the use case for broadband in general is changing every single day. We're seeing, um, again, bandwidth usage doubling every few years. We're seeing the internet become more and more ingrained in people's lives. All of these things, it's easy to get yeah, you know, bogged down in the technicalities of what we're doing here in the broadband world. But really what we're trying to do is connect people. We're trying to uh, deploy broadband technologies that connect the world and enable people to take full advantage of the digital economy. When we keep that in mind, we realize that this is always going to be a dynamic industry. This is always going to require flexibility. It's always going to require providers to continuously up the ante when it comes to the technologies and strategies they're using. And I think this sort of process of starting, uh, getting a running start on RDOF only to see it, you know, completely shift gears potentially for phase two is a perfect illustration of that, um, that, you know, we can never get too comfortable. Um, this is a moving target. And, uh, you know, I think it's entirely one that we can hit. And I know that uh, we're due for plenty of updates on RDOF, so I'm sure we'll be covering more of it on the show here. And we may even just need to uh, ping you again, Tyler, for the most recent updates as you've got your finger on the pulse. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be up to date on any time we hear some news on either round one payouts, round two rules, or uh, any of the changes to the census block mapping technology. Uh, so again, thank you so much, Tyler, for your perspectives today. It's really been a pleasure getting to break down this article of yours. Again, for our audience, it's called Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, RDOF map auction and analysis you can find this on broadband now and we'll of course link to it in the description and in the write-up of the piece tyler if folks want to get in touch with you they want to you know 
pick your brain on um, strategies uh, or just learn a little bit more about uh, where any of the current federal or state funds are at in their uh, payout process? How can they get in touch? Where can they learn more? Sure. Uh, so we publish regular research at broadbandnow.com slash research if you want to check out our regular reporting there. Uh, but you can also find me on Twitter at Tyler Lee Cooper. Uh, happy to chat. Perfect. Easy enough. All right, Tyler Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of Broadband Now. Thank you so much for your time today, man. I'm looking forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search up Wavelengths and you're sure to find it. And for that article that we were breaking down today, make sure you're heading to broadbandnow.com. And again, the title is RDOF, Map Auction and analysis. It's got plenty of details that we didn't have a chance to cover here, but uh, that Tyler will continue to update and you'll find plenty of information about RDOF on their site and on ours. So thanks again for tuning into this episode. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Wavelengths.